This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Please turn with me to Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56 for this morning's reading of God's good and holy word. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. For I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Good morning, First Prize. It's a joy to be with you, and um, as we camp out here in this um, story in Luke, which really is a story containing a story, and so before we dive in, let's take a moment and pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do come before you, and Lord, we are just so thankful for the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the love that you bestow upon us. It's an amazing thought to really comprehend the fact that we are sons and daughters of the High King, that we have been called to be your children. And so, Father, we are thankful that we have access to you, that we can come to the throne room and pray and know that we're heard. And so, Lord, we do come praying and asking, Lord, on our behalf and the behalf of those whom we love, Lord, that you would 
show your grace and pour out your lavished love upon us yet more. We are a stubborn people and how easily we fall into sin and temptation. And so, Lord, we ask that you would guide our hearts even this hour as our minds can drift, our attention can fall away. Lord, help our eyes to see you. Help our hearts to be touched by you. And God, may we love you more and more each and every passing moment. God, we do pray, Lord, for those in our congregation that are struggling. We know that there are still many, Lord, that are dealing with physical illness, emotional, spiritual struggles. God, we pray that you would reach to each need. You would use us as your hands and feet. Lord, guide our attention to those, Lord, that need a word of encouragement, a hand to hold, someone to pray with them. Lord, help us to be busy doing the work of the kingdom. And Lord, throughout the opportunities we have in the community, at work, in the place and the spaces around us, Lord, may we be constantly making sure that you are glorified, that you are lifted up, that we are publicly proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Lord, how desperately the world needs Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be your ambassadors, your witnesses. And so, Lord, help us to be faithful in fulfilling our calling. So, God, as we pray each and every week, we pray that we would leave this place changed. Lord, I pray that you would use your word. I pray that you would use my mouth for that glory and that end. Lord, help me not to say anything more nor less than you've given me to say. But, God, may I be faithful to your word this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. I don't know about you, but watching the news can be very depressing. Amen? I mean, you just listen to the news. You hear about violence on the rise. You hear about disappearances. You hear about deaths. You hear of earthquakes, hurricanes, fires, and the list continues. One thing as I've been watching the news is I've noticed there's an effort by the networks to actually put good news and stories before their viewers. These are often stories of a neighbor helping a neighbor, stories of people stepping in and standing in the gaps on others' behalf. These are good news stories. And watching them seems such in contrast to the rest of the news that we're faced with day in and day out. The point is, we live in a fallen world, don't we? A fallen world that is desperate for good news. Uh, a broken world that, that seems to understand that they truly are desiring and desperate for something positive. Truth is, this isn't anything new. The desperate desire for good news has been with us since the fall of Adam. As we'll see in our text, there's an excitement about Jesus. This excitement is something that should stir in us, an excitement we ourselves should know. Within our text, there are two specific individuals that are mentioned that are truly desperate for Jesus. They truly are longing for the good news that only Jesus can provide. So as we listen and study this text this morning, I pray that you hear the desperation in their voices, but you equally hear Jesus' response. Let's turn our attention to our text. We're told that Jesus returns to the other side of the lake. If you remember last week, we discussed that Jesus had left the one side to go to the other. There was a storm two weeks ago, and then he eventually arrives on the other side, and ultimately, he encounters a demon-possessed man. 
After healing this demon-possessed man and the demons going into pigs, the herdsmen of those pigs and the villagers request Jesus to leave. So Jesus gets in the boat and he heads back. And Jesus goes back to the other side. And when Jesus goes back to the other side, look at verse 40. Jesus is welcomed by a crowd who were all waiting for him. You know, it draws my attention to when I was younger, and you actually could go to the airport and see the plane come in of a loved one. When you actually could stand at the gate and welcome them as they came off the jetway. There was something special about that. There were a lot of times as a little boy I was dragged to the airport, maybe because my grandparents were coming back from Scotland or something, or maybe it was a, a relative who, who had traveled. But I remember going to the airport, and I remember all the excitement of going to the gate, and my nose pressed to the window, right? And I'm just excited to see the plane taxi in. And all of a sudden, you would see them put the walkway out, and you'd see the mechanics work, and ultimately, the the people would start filing out. There was an excitement as you waited for them to come, the loved one to arrive. That's what I see in this text. There's a legitimate excitement about Jesus. On the other side, when they were begging him, get out of here, this group of people is begging him, come here. Be with us. We've missed you so much. You can feel it. You can feel the excitement, the electricity. You know, often we're specifically told that in this text, that as we look at it, that that there were those who were in attendance were generally excited. There seemed to be a very specific relationship to Jesus that almost seemed to tie into a desperation of particularly one individual that's mentioned right out of the gate. The man's name is Jairus. He's a ruler of the synagogue. What's odd about this is typically religious leaders don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. But not this dude. We actually see this religious leader do something absolutely astounding. When Jesus arrives and gets off the boat, this religious leader falls at Jesus' feet. Friends, just just pause for a moment. And imagine the scene, the cheering, the celebrating, the excitement, the electricity in the room. And ultimately, Jesus shows up, and one of the religious leaders falls to his feet. I want to draw your attention to the words of this religious leader. He explains that ultimately, in verse 42, he had only one daughter. She was about 12 years old. And she was dying. Now, I'm a father of two daughters. And let me tell you, if anything ever befells them, my heart panics. But here, this religious leader, his heart was tied into this one daughter. And she was deathly ill. Can you imagine how long he must have been pacing around waiting for that boat to come and for Jesus to show up just so he could run at Jesus' feet? Just so he could make his request known to Jesus, I need your help. Can you feel the desperation of that man? See, that's the problem, I think. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we're so separated from it, we view it as almost a totally other book. It has nothing to do with our day and age, but it does. 
See, the truth of the matter is this. We should be desperate for Jesus. We, we should be eager to welcome Jesus into our lives, into our messes, into our problems, into all the things that we're struggling with. And that's exactly what we see of this religious leader. He's absolutely desperate for Jesus. Why? Not for himself, for his daughter. Friends, the truth is, there were many probably gathering there that were just gathering there to be around Jesus. Who doesn't want to be part of a parade? Who doesn't want to be part of the excitement? Who doesn't want to find out who's coming on the ship? And so there were probably people there who were just there because there was a party. The same is true in the church. There are many who gather around Jesus and the church just out of a general excitement. A general curiosity. What's all this about? But there are some who are truly here before Jesus because they are so desperate for help. Do we recognize that? Is that us? Are we at a place where we truly recognize how desperate we are for Jesus. This religious leader was. What's interesting about this is in this scene, in this, in this period of, of what's taking place, right in the middle of that request breaks in another story. And this story is about people pressing in around Jesus. As the man is there making his deep desire known to Jesus, people are just pressing in. How rude. How rude. <laughs> Somebody's listening. How rude. It's so true. They're pressing in. And so Luke follows what's happening. And we move away from the story of this only daughter and we're captured by the crowds of the people. And we specifically move into a story of another woman. Look at verse 43. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Friends, isn't it ironic that this man's child is 12 years old? And the woman has had an issue of blood for 12 years as long as that child has been alive. I think Luke is saying, pay attention. God's about to do something awesome. And as he does this, as this scene begins to unfold, one of the things that takes place is actually rather astounding. Because one of the things we oftentimes don't understand is that there were rules about cleanliness and uncleanliness. And in that day and age, if a woman had an issue of blood, she was therefore deemed unclean, which meant... She was not allowed to attend public worship. She wasn't allowed to go to the synagogue. She surely wasn't allowed to go to the temple. In fact, she wasn't allowed to touch others, and others were not allowed to touch her. Can you imagine the loneliness of this woman? 
12 years. 12 years of not attending worship. 12 years of being way away from the fellowship of the saints. And then the story gets yet even deeper where we're told that now she's in poverty because she's extended all of her money on physicians who couldn't help her. When Mark talks about it, he says she wasted all of her money. They couldn't help her. She had nothing left. And yet here she was in this crowd, which forces us to ask the question, what is she doing there? She's not supposed to touch anyone, and no one's supposed to touch her. That doesn't say it in the text, but i got to believe she covered herself so nobody could recognize her. For surely someone would yell out, unclean. But she took it upon herself to get to Jesus no matter what. Jesus was her only hope. She was desperate. Twelve years of desperation were building. She heard the stories. She had to appear. And as the crowds are pushing, she's pushing forward. Mark tells us why, Mark 5, 28. In her desperation, she comes to Jesus, but Mark says she's thinking, for she said, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be well. If I can just yet touch Jesus. Do you see the desperation for Jesus? If I can just be near Jesus... I don't need to ask him any questions. I don't need him to to pronounce a prayer over me. I just need to be near Jesus, just close enough to touch the hem of his garments. The desperation, the struggle, the pain, the loneliness. According to verse 44, that's exactly what she did. She came behind Jesus as she touched the fringe of his garment. Friends, in that moment, don't just push her away in your mind. Wrestle with her desperation. Understand her pain as she reaches out and puts herself in a position to act. Here's what hope looks like. And hope was not disappointed because according to verse 44, immediately her discharge of blood ceased. She was healed. 12 years of isolation, 12 years of sorrow, and she's healed. Friends, do you know this kind of desperation? Do you understand this desperation and need to be made clean? Do you find yourself longing for what only Jesus can provide? Here's the bottom line we should. Every person in this room should understand how unclean we are. How unacceptable on our own merit we are before God. And yet we should desire to run to Jesus. Because Jesus is our only hope. Jesus is the only one who can make us clean. Jesus is the only one who can make us whole. We've heard the stories. 
We've read the Bible. We've heard sermons. We know all the things that Jesus has done. But are we desperate for him? Or are we just content to kind of hang around the crowd? Be close to the excitement, not really personally. Just kind of hang around. It's kind of a good crowd. I I, kind of like the way they treat one another. After all, every second Sunday they have a meal. That's kind of cool. Is that why we're hanging around? See, the church is a hospital for sinners. The church should be a place full of desperate people who are ill, seeking to be made well. The church should be filled with people who are desperate for the cure that only Jesus provides. That's why we come. That's why we gather, just to touch Jesus. That's what worship is. Worship is about being in the presence of Christ through his spirit. Worship is a special promise from God that there he is in our midst. And we can worship him. We can be with him in a special way. Friends, is that us? Do we understand how desperate we should be for Jesus? We need to. What's ironic is Jesus' response. In both the scenarios, with the woman with the issue of blood, as well as Jesus' reaction to this religious leader. I want you to see what Jesus does in the midst as everybody is pushing in on him as the religious leader has asked him for help for his dying daughter. Look where Jesus' attention is in verse 45. Who touched me? Who touched me? Jesus seems to be stern here. He seems to be looking for a response. And we can see this by the people's response. They all deny it, the scripture says. I didn't touch you. I didn't touch you. Jesus must have said it in some type of tone that everybody took a step back. Wasn't me. Why is Jesus stern? And why is Jesus drawing attention to this when there is a girl who's dying? Where's the love of Jesus? That's what we should be asking about this text. That's what Luke wants us to ask. Notice what Peter responds in verse 45. Master, the crowds surround you, and they're all pressing in on you. And Peter's kind of correcting Jesus here. Like, really? Really, Jesus? (laughs) Don't you see the commotion? You went from obscurity to popularity. People are pressing in. We're all being crushed. What do you mean who touches you? What do you mean, Jesus? And yet according to verse 46, Jesus insists, no, someone touched me. Notice how he qualifies this touch. I perceive power has gone out from me. What? I mean, why isn't it that every time somebody touched Jesus that they weren't experiencing this power? What was it different about her? 
Jesus insists, someone touched me. And so finally, according to verse 7, the woman seeing she was not hidden any longer, she came trembling, it says, and falling down before him, declaring in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been healed. She tells her story. She declares her good news. A woman, 12 years in isolation, has now been healed. And she's saying, isn't this awesome? But she's also saying it with fear and trepidation. Imagine how fearful she was coming forward. She heard the sternness in his voice. She had violated the law regarding not touching anyone. But look how Jesus responds. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. There's so much packed in that verse. You know the word daughter? This is the only time Jesus uses it in the entire Gospels. And he uses it for this girl, this woman. This woman who lived in isolation without family and friends, he uses it for her daughter. He's bringing her into the family. He's showing her love and compassion. Daughter, you want to know why I felt the power leave me? It was because of your faith. Your faith. Now understand this, this wasn't just blind faith. This was faith that was aimed at Jesus, the object. Jesus was the object of her faith. In today's society, everybody says, faith, 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 everywhere faith. Have faith in rocks. Have faith in the wind. Have faith in the moon. No, those things can't help you. But Jesus can. And Jesus said, the power went from me because of your faith in me. Your faith in me has made you well. And he ends it with, go in peace. I'm not mad. Which forces us to ask the question, why did Jesus make this public? Why did Jesus stop from going to the house of the, of the elder in the, in the synagogue? Why did he keep, stop and have this discussion? There's a girl dying. Why? He did this for the girl, for the woman. See, he wanted everyone to share in her good news. That's the kind of Jesus we serve. Jesus wanted to make sure everybody understood she's clean. She can come to worship. She can touch you. You can have her over for tea. You can spend time with her. She's been made clean. Isn't that the story of Paul after his conversion? Nobody wants to be around him because he was the one persecuting the church according to the book of Acts. But all of a sudden, he's changed because he's been given a new heart. He's been saved. And now God is telling everyone, go spend time with him. That's what God's saying to us. The hospital that was full of sinners, they've been healed. And their job is to care for other sinners. To love on them. So Jesus did this for her, that her good news would be known, but also Jesus did it for others. Because Jesus loves others as well. Jesus wanted his power to be known. His glory to be known. See, Jesus made it very clear that her faith 
healed her, and therefore she should make a public confession. Listen to what Matthew 10, 32 and 33 says. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But listen to this. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Abraham Kuyper talks about the importance of public confession. He wrote a whole little book on it. The importance of public confession. That we give God the glory. That God gets the praise due his name for the wonderful deeds he has done in our lives. That's why we have new members come up here and testify of their faith and trust in Christ. That's why when we baptize, we make sure that people know and hear the good news of the gospel that we celebrate. Public confession is so important. But it draws us to the question, are we giving Jesus the public praise due his name? Are we? Are we giving him all the praise for all the provision he provides in our lives? Are we giving Jesus the public praise so that others will know his power and praise him as well? See, when God does something for you, he should receive the honor for it. That's what we've been called to do, to declare the good news of Jesus. But right in the midst of all that, a message comes. Look at verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Friends, can you imagine the heartache, the crushing news to this religious leader? You gotta wonder what went through his mind. Jesus, if you would have just hurried... Jesus, if you wouldn't have sat down to have that conversation about who touched you, maybe we could have saved her. Jesus, if, what if? But again, I draw your attention to Jesus' response, just like with the woman. Look at verse 50 now with this religious leader, Jesus, hearing, the, hearing this conversation between one of the messengers and this man. Jesus answered, listen, verse 50, do not fear, only believe. She will be saved. Do not fear, only believe. Jesus then gets into the house, and it's interesting, he only takes Peter and James and John and the mother and the father with him. He takes them, I believe, to be witnesses of what's about to take place so they can testify to what has occurred but not publicly, which is going to be interesting compared to what was to take place with the woman with the issue of blood. Because as we will see, Jesus will tell them not to tell anyone. And there's a reason for it we'll get to, but I want your attention to be on what Jesus says here. In verse 55, taking her by the hand, Jesus says, Child, arise. And the Spirit returned to her, and she got up at once. 
And he directed that someone should give her something to eat. That's absolutely amazing. It shows that Jesus truly does have the keys over death and Hades. That Jesus truly is in charge. That for the believer, death is not victorious. Because Jesus is victorious over death. And her by her eating, she's proving she's alive. Just like when Jesus, the resurrected Christ, ate fish with the disciples. I'm really here with you. It was more for them than it was for him. And I believe the feeding of that girl wasn't because she was starving, but it was proof to the witnesses that she was truly alive. What's ironic is the setting of that. The room was filled with people weeping and mourning, and Jesus ushers them out, and as he's ushering them out, verse 53 said he told them, do not weep, she's, but, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And they laugh at him. They don't know how to break the tension, so they laugh. But I believe it was Jesus who had the last laugh. Just like Jesus has the last laugh every time a believer dies. Because there's victory in Jesus. There's hope in Jesus. There's salvation in Jesus. Look at verse 56, and her parents were amazed. But he charged them not to tell anyone what happened. So we come to that contrast. Why did he have the woman make a public pronouncement, but not the parents? I believe it's because the knowledge of this miracle would make it impossible for Jesus to go anywhere. He was already being pressed in by the great crowds. But when people hear that he's raising the dead, it would make it near impossible him to do the work that the Father gave him to do. People will be trying to use Jesus for their own political gains. We see this later in the Gospels, and Jesus knew it would happen, so therefore Jesus warned them, tell no one. Friends, this part of the story forces us to ask some serious questions. When the religious leader heard this, just believe we hear that same thing. The question is, how do we respond? How do we respond when things don't go quite our way? And the Bible tells us, just believe. How do we respond when the timing of life isn't fitting into our timing and our plans? And the Bible tells us, just believe. Are we trusting? Are we trusting even when it seems impossible for the outcome that we so desperately desire? See, Jesus says, just believe. Not vain faith, not empty faith, but faith in him. For power is in his name. Friends, both of these stories teach us about the desperate need we have of Jesus. There is a faith that's expressed by both of these individuals in this story. The woman for 12 years with the issue of blood believed and she was desperate for Jesus and she reached out and she touched him. And the religious leader, he believed because he went with Jesus to the house, to the place of his dead daughter, and he was amazed. 
Jesus didn't disappoint is the point of what Luke wants us to understand. Friends, Jesus never disappoints. Jesus is the source of all of our hope and all of our joy and all of our desperation. All of us, we need only to believe, to trust. What am I saying and what am I not saying? I'm not saying everything will go the way you planned. You know that, and I know that. That's life. But it is about trusting in the sovereign plan of God who truly knows all things. In this story, the waiting created an opportunity for the girl to pass so Jesus could show his power to his disciples. Sometimes the struggles that we go through are opportunities that God has set up uniquely for his glory. I think I said sometimes there, not sometimes, always, always. God wastes nothing. We've been called simply to believe, to trust, and obey. Remember the words of Jesus. Your faith has made you well. You do not need to fear. You only need to believe. Let's pray. Father, as we close this book, this story, this testimony of your power as seen in the lives of two individuals, two different families, God, we see how our story intertwines. There are some that have experienced heartache and pain, and we wonder what good can come from it. But yet, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our faith in your providence, and in your sovereignty. That, we, Lord, we would recognize that our timing is not your timing, but your timing is perfect. Lord, there's some in this room that right now are reaching out who felt isolated, alone, and the whole reason they're here is to encounter you. So, God, I pray that they would, that they would know you, that they would cling to you, and they would experience your healing power your forgiveness, your cleansing, and your hope that you provide. May our eyes be fixed on Jesus, the Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.